Hello, welcome to P-Cube, the one and only Pokemon Cube podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Martin, brought to you with Connor Lavelle. Today, we have an episode all about how much energy you should be putting in your cube decks. Something that honestly gets overlooked all the time, and we're... I don't know, I'm, I'm first really excited to get into it, but first, first we got Cube League updates. So, been a lot happening since we've been gone. Uh, the top eight is happening right now. We have one more match left before top four. Uh, Connor, I think you're in the top four now, is that right? Yes, I am in the top four. Um, I am playing Arcanine. I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, so I'm not going to go too heavily into it. But um, yeah, I'm uh, moving on. I played against um, two misses, super cool Cherim um, and Celebi Prime deck in top eight. And that was a ton of fun. Um, I, I think that his deck could have won the event if he hit different matchups. I think it was pretty bad luck that he ran into the the fire deck right in top eight, but super cool deck. The top eight in general, I thought, has been really neat. Lots of really neat decks going on. Unknown, there is Kabutops. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of different representation. I think the highest count of any archetype in top eight is two. There are two Arcanine decks, and then other than that, two Arcanine, two spread. So Yeah. Now the top eight checked out pretty interestingly. Um... Yeah, I, I think JL is now, what, 7 seven zero yep. <laughs> if you count his top 8 game. So he's playing, of course, the unknown. Uh, is is it a spread deck, you'd, you'd call it, or a donk deck? I wouldn't really call it either. I would call it a combo deck um, that uses some very powerful enablers and is very, very aggressive. So unknown gets free wins from donks, and then it still plays a very good game outside of that. Ah, that makes a lot of sense then. So that, that's definitely something that hopefully uh, we'll see more of. Um, if you want to see some statistics on the Cube League, uh, definitely check out our Twitter at PKM and Cube Podcast. Links will be in the description. But uh, you can see a recap of the top eight as well as a meta breakdown. And I, I can kind of summarize the biggest three archetypes we actually saw from this Cube were Unknown and Crobat and Walrein. So that was interesting. Uh, we had one Crobat deck in the top eight, but I don't think we saw any Walrein. I don't remember what the highest wall rain record was. Do you remember? I think we had a 4-2. Yeah, yeah. There was a wall okay. rain at 4-2. Awesome. They bubbled out of top 8. Honestly, all three lines look super sweet. Tons of like interesting decks from this. Um, I definitely enjoyed Tumas's uh Cherum deck. I, I was unfortunate for him to hit a uh, a fire a fire matchup right off the bat. Because honestly, that was one of those decks that I mean looking at the cube, I didn't really piece together. Like at face value was oh an entire Cherum deck, because I just picture Cherum as a support line. But I love decks like that that catch you by surprise and end up doing doing really well so shout out to tumas for building a really cool deck yeah i i did not anticipate that deck at all i thought about it before the event i'm like could jerem come together as its own deck i don't really know um but then seeing the celebi prime come out in such force was really an angle that i hadn't considered with the deck and it i think it's given him so many good matchups whereas he would normally have maybe a more even one ah yeah so keep updates on the Twitter. If you want to see more updates on the brackets and everything, definitely check us out there. Next announcement is the one and only Champions Q number three coming out August 14th and 15th. So it'll be a two-day event. Be a Swiss day one and then uh, I believe we're on a top cut in day two. More details will definitely come out in the next episode because it'll be right before the event. But you can expect the stream to start with round one around 11.30 CDT on August 14th. But nothing's really ironed down yet. We're still waiting to see who makes it in through the team challenge. So August 14th, 15th, definitely confirmed. 
But definitely stay tuned to more updates coming out in the next episode. Connor, anything else you want to update on Champs Cube? I know we aren't quite there yet, but it's coming up quick. Coming up super fast. It is a $500 cube tournament. It's the thing at the end of the season that everybody competes toward. Um, it's always super exciting just to see everybody come out and do their absolute best in a cube environment. Everybody takes it really seriously. People um, just draft really cool decks, really powerful strategies, and uh, excellent gameplay. You know, the best cube gameplay there is that you can find uh, for Spectation. So I'm really excited for it, as always. I don't know. Just uh, hard to not be excited when it's this close. Yeah, I mean, we only have it come up around twice a year. So it's, it's the most, I, honestly, I feel safe saying it's probably the most competitive cube event out there that you could find because players have to grind for these invites and they, they played in tons of cube leagues just to get here and there's cash prizing on the line so honestly it just feels like an all-star lineup here i'm really excited to see what players bring to the table here we should have the cube actually announced here soon we're still waiting on a couple of votes but honestly all the cubes in contention here are really good so definitely want to check that out if you're not playing check out the stream there's gonna be we're gonna stream as many games as we can definitely gonna be streaming that top cut uh, so you're going to get a lot of really high skill level games coming out of this. So if that's kind of up to your, up your alley, check us out on Twitch at P3 Podcasts. But besides that, we have a, a pretty exciting crack pack. I actually haven't seen it yet, but Connor, what pack do we have here today? All right. So I picked this pack because normally we try to avoid packs that have big power cards in them because it's not going to make for an interesting discussion. But I was rolling through packs and I found this one and I picked it because it has so many power cards in it. So this pack has Celebi EX with time reversal, allows you to take a card from your discard, put it on top of your deck when you bench it. Shaman EX with setup, Call Energy, Super Rod, Sightseer, Professor Elm, the trainer that shuffles your hand into your deck, draws seven. Azelf with time walk, Holden Lass, Multi-Energy, and Jirachi from Deoxys with Wishing, Wishing Star. So, Andrew, thoughts on this pack? Yeah, you got quite the pack here. I mean, where do you start? These are all some really insane cards. Like, whoever's getting this pack next is, like, going to be looking at me funny thinking, what did I take? But, yeah, I mean, Cell BX is a pretty good card. I like Recursion. I mean, even then, like, also, this is, like, more low-power cubes, so utilizing resources is pretty nice. Uh, Shaman EX with Setup, I mean... For anyone who's played maybe in the past five years, is very familiar with this card. It's, it's really close to like Uxie, except you draw six and it's a two prizer. But honestly, I find the two prize effect not being as big of a liability depending on the matchup, depending on what's in the cubes. If everyone's given like a Lysander or something, then the two prizer matters a little bit more. But you can generally get around that depending on if it's mostly like power related, I feel like. So two prizers doesn't normally scare me. It's a really good setup Pokemon. Call Energy. Great energy card, just lets you to find basics on the first turn. I'm not too high on it on pack one. I think the card's great, but I don't find it as good as maybe some of the other cards in this pack. Professor Elm, insane trainer. Basically an item that lets you just shuffle draw seven. Now there's a caveat that you can't play any trainer cards, but we've talked I think we talked about this on the podcast before. Like the main utility with this card is like if your main goal is to find energies Pokemon to evolve into basics to put down, like Elm's just a hand extender. It also lets you just refresh your hand basically at the end of your turn. So even if you didn't have much to play after that, you still get a whole new hand for basically no cost. So definitely a top tier pick. Azelf, something I, a card I really do enjoy. Time Walk, just letting you search your prizes and be able to look at your prizes for the rest of the game. So it does allow you to obviously take a Pokemon out of your prizes and put a card in there. But I find the utility of looking able to look at your prizes through the rest of the game very strong, uh, especially if your deck's centered around maybe one or two cards. I know actually when I played this in 
Delta EVs. I actually don't remember if I have Azel, but my my deck was definitely centered around Kingdra from Legends Awaken. So knowing your prize is obviously there, big deal. Uh, so Azel has a lot of value. And then Jirachi, uh, Wishing Star can be very strong. I don't think it's one of the strongest. I don't think it's the strongest ability in this. And maybe I'm wrong, but uh, Wishing Star lets you look at the top five, take a card out, and then put it to sleep. It's a strong setup, Mon. It's a good thing to put in the active. For pack one, pick one, though. I, I am honestly between Shaman EX and Professor Elm. Just because of the huge draw utilities. I mean, they're both just really strong cards. I, I could see it honestly going either way here. This is like... <laughs> abilities on Pokemon that I can play down, uh, for me personally, I think work a little bit better or a little bit more uh, powerful. So I really like the setup ability on Shaman. Uh, even though it's worth two prizes. It also has 110 HP and like a low power cube. So I, I think it's not necessarily getting one shot by something that isn't lightning. You also do have a little bit of fighting resistance. You actually can use Sky Return to your advantage if you want something that's like some easy chip damage. Especially, I don't know if this cube has DCE. I don't remember. But if it does, Sky Return is just like a free 30. That could be really good. Especially also just as kind of tanky for 110 HP basic. So for those reasons, I am definitely taking Shaman EX. But really busted pack here. Interested to see what you're taking here, Connor. Yeah, I think there are three cards to really consider here, and it's Shaman EX, Professor Elm, and Azelf. Um, and what card you prioritize, I think, actually depends a lot on where you are in the draft. For example, if you have a very combo-heavy strategy and you're going to be really starved for bench space, something like Professor Elm stands out as a really, really powerful pick above the Azelf and the Shaman because you might not have the bench space to dedicate. Uh, if you have a deck with a very specific and critical build around, then Azelf is the best card in the pack because being able to get to that build around every single game is going to allow you to win in situations where you would otherwise lose. Uh, and then Shaman EX, I think pack one, pick one is my pick. I think it's the most versatile card in the sense that being able to search for a Pokemon that draws you cards is just so incredibly powerful. It turns all of your search into draw when you need it. It's not only a card that can allow you to go more aggressive, but it's a card that can get you out of bad spots as well, both in the early game and in the late game. If you don't need to Shaman in the early game, then it's going to be a good way to recover from something like a Rocket's Admin. So I would take the Shaman EX, pack one, pick one. My number two would be the Azelf. Uh, Time Walk is just extremely powerful and this cube has a lot of single powerful cards that you would want to fetch fetch out of your prizes um for example if you were playing typhlosion and you prized your typhlosion prime if you're playing septile and you prized energy trans these are decks that really lean on those cards to be good and um and I would definitely want to be able to have access to all of those. So I like Azelf as my second pick, and then Elm is my third. Yeah, definitely respectable. I feel like a lot of this comes down to like how, like, like you said, like how you, you know, appreciate each card and what what value each card's bringing to the table. I definitely agree. Like if I'm no, I'm on a line that is very, you know, dependent on having a certain card in not in the prizes, like Kingdra. Azelf instantly becomes top of the list, but. I mean, you definitely could, you know, transition that into maybe into a more combo-heavy deck. Like you said, Shaman EX has that more value, or Professor Elm can also help you reach a little bit farther, too. So, really interesting pack. Um, I definitely, if I got this pack even without the Shaman, it's still insane. So, yeah, really happy with this one here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you couldn't be upset to open this pack, right? <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, 
we got a long episode here so we're gonna be uh, transitioning to our main segment so stick around when we come back we're gonna be talking about energies and how many should be putting into your deck just in one second all right welcome back to our main segment so today we're gonna be talking all about energy counts and what is the optimal energy count for your deck short answer it depends but Let's first get into why exactly is energy important. Well, you know, energy, you're going to need to actually attack in the Pokemon TCG. Without any energies, generally, you're never going to attack. Without attacking, you generally aren't going to win the game. So you need energy to win the game by the transit property. Um, so, but the the real the real trick is honestly finding the right count. Um, it can vary, especially in cube decks. And oftentimes what we see is that people often undervalue the amount of energy they need in a deck especially if you're coming from standard format. Um, so we figured this would be a good chance to talk about it, talk about some of the nuance that comes with it, some of the, uh, really the considerations you need to make when you're deciding on energy costs. Um, this is one I was, I was honestly thinking about. It's kind of underlooked a lot of times. Not something, not the first thing you think about building a deck. Honestly, most of the time people are looking at energy costs the last time when they're making their cuts. But Honestly, looking between decks that do really well and decks that kind of fall flat, I think energy counts are the first thing I look at when deciding, you know, did why this deck did well, why this deck did not do well. Obviously, there's other factors, but hopefully after today, you'll have a pretty good idea of how much energy you should be putting inside your cube deck. Connor, anything to add, generally speaking, about energy before we get into this? I know I've preached about this on this podcast before, and we haven't even had that. This is the 16th episode, but I'm going to say it again because I've seen it many, many times since I last said it. People are not running enough energy in their decks. Mm -hmm. I have, since the last time I preached about it, I have seen so many games lost by decks that are running 12 energy or 10 to 12 energy and have a normal attack cost, and people don't get an energy on turn one or two, and then they end up super behind and they lose. Yeah, it happens all the time, and uh, and uh, this is my second PSA, and I'm sure I will continue to make this PSA. But in a cube deck, unless it is ultra hyper consistent on on the tier of a standard deck, you need more than twelve energy. Yeah, and that that tends to hold true, especially if we've looked through like these cube league decks. Like, um, you generally are going to need more than what you think. Uh, it's just how it goes. There's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why. Hopefully, and we'll get into a lot of those now. But uh, if you're if you're someone out there who's maybe taking a look at your energy counts, I I hope this episode's helpful. I know for me personally, um, a big big level up moment for me has been in recent times, uh, at least in the past few months, is understanding energy counts and why they're important. And and, and just to cap off some of the generally speaking uh, terms here, you also have to think about uh, your your attachments per turn can be a pretty big deal. Or, you know, the amount of attackers you can produce. So a lot of these things can come out to being, you know, did you end up, you know, missing an attack because of an energy? Did you end up not being able to fulfill all of your attack costs because of energy? So kind of the lines we're thinking of here, you're going to need energy to win the game. Um, but honestly, picking the right energy count, I feel like it, it's good to, I personally speaking, I feel like I get in like the ballpark of the energy counts I need, but lately I've been honing in on trying to figure out What's the exact amount of energy I need and trying to get that number right. And I think that's really hard. So a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today should hopefully help you narrow down the exact amount of energy you're going to need. Um, but let's just, let's just get into it. So there's a few different uh, baselines here. We're going to go off of these obviously aren't like, you know, 
the uh, de facto list of things you should be looking through. But this is just a way to organize your thoughts and to think about it. So three big three big topics we're going to talk about when you're talking about energy you need is going to be the archetype you're playing, i.e. the deck you are playing, the power level of the cube, and how much consistent and the consistency and recovery of your deck. So we're going to be breaking each one of those down and talking about the different pieces. Um, looking through at archetype, like I said, mostly what, what deck are you playing? So breaking into that a little bit. Different archetypes are going to vary in energy requirements. So uh, I'm going to use my cube as an example. So if you think about big attacking decks like Chestnut or Lone Gold in my cube, they have really hefty energy requirements. But, you know, the flip side of that, they inflict a lot of damage. So naturally, you're going to want to put a lot of energy in those decks. But in a spread deck or a control deck like Sloking Control or Wheezing Spread, they have very much lower energy costs. So... The energy requirements you would need to satisfy a chestnut deck or a lone golem deck, and energy costs you're going to need to satisfy a control deck, way different, okay? That's kind of just where it starts out off. But some decks, honestly, can vary depending on the strategy. So, Connor, do you have any other examples of like decks that maybe vary in energy costs that you would need? Yeah, so um, some decks are going to need energy to fuel different things. So if you're playing something like Delcaddy, um then you are going to need more energy because not only do you want to hit that energy attachment every turn, but you want to hit an energy draw every turn. So you, you need to hit two energy in a turn instead of one like you would in a normal deck. I would say the absolute lowest I would go in a Delcaddy deck on energy is 14. A lot of the time I'm going to try for 15 or 16. It, it does depend on what kind of acceleration I might have out of the discard, what kind of recovery I have. But, um, you know, the, your needs go up in that case. Um in decks like Rain Dance, where maybe you have really high energy costs or an archetype that discards its energy to attack, every single time you miss an energy attachment, that's either less damage on your attack, uh, like for example, in Andrew's Gigalith example, or maybe you just don't get to attack. You know, if your golem has a three or four energy requirement and you don't have enough energy, then uh, it doesn't matter that you have that energy rain effect if you don't actually draw the energy to get there. So it it does vary a lot. And even in decks that use very, very few energy, I'm talking about decks where every single Pokemon attacks for a single energy, uh, or most attackers attack for zero energy, things like Gyarados, things like Yanmega. Um, in, in some very fringe cases, you can get away with like two or three if it's a, a very dedicated Stormfront Gyarados strategy. But even in decks with low energy requirements, it's still a good idea to run, you know, maybe maybe you'd run six or seven energy in an Empoleon deck in standard, uh, an attack command Empoleon deck. Uh, but in cube, you might want to run like nine. Uh, and that's if every single attacker in the deck takes one energy, except for maybe, maybe one attacker could take two. Uh, it's just the rate at which you're going to hit them. In that Empoleon deck, of course, you're not going to be wanting for energy very much, but if you do miss the energy to attack one time, then you're going to be in a very bad position. So it's all about hitting energy every time you need it. It's not about, you know, oh, if I use all my recovery for energy or like I have X number of energy that I'm going to need to use for attacks in my deck. And that is a fine way to start assessing how many energy you're going to need. But anytime you miss an energy attachment, that is potential for your opponent to get an advantage whether it means you miss an attack whether it means your acceleration is weaker because if you miss an attachment then your acceleration isn't as powerful because it doesn't actually buy you any turns um all kinds of things are, go wrong when you miss your energy attachments so 
you need more than you think, even in the low counts. Yeah, I also feel like the other side of that too is prizing energy as well. Like if you have just the minimal amount of energy you need to get through a game and you end up prizing some, your odds obviously of drawing energy are going to go down even more. But something else that I like to think about too is like, can I even afford to prize? Like, you know, if I play, if my deck needs 10 energies to function, like if I prize one of those energies, I don't have enough. So maybe I need more, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Prizing, especially in a deck where you play very few energy, if you prize an energy, then that can be devastating. I've even played decks with like 12 energy where I could recover three and a single prized energy has lost me the game. So it really is a huge impact. Yeah, and, and to go back to your point too about um, Delcaddy, it really just decks based on some sort of energy um, acceleration engine. Um, that's something I want to think about is even like if your deck uses something like Welder, or water call swampert those effects to get the full effect obviously you're gonna need energy in hand welder for instance you're gonna need two energies in hand and there's not a lot of welder i think welder engine cubes because you need multiple welders for that and most cubes i see run one but if you're trying to take advantage of effect like welder and you're running maybe 10 fire energies i mean the odds of you having two fire energies in hand without some insane amount of consistency starts like giant hearth professor's letter of that of that nature you know, if you're trying to actually just have the energy in hand naturally, it, it's, it's going to be way lower than if you ran maybe 14 energies, 16 energies. Even like Baby Bacephalon when it was in standard had a lot of energies that ran, not because it needed all of them, but because it needed to have the welders in hand even just to like, you know, combo into those big, you know, fiery flint combos. And, you know, so there, there's value in having more, quote unquote, more energy than what you need. Uh, something like water call swamper is an ability where you want to attach a water energy to your active and you're trying to get the maximum effect of that um in those kind of decks you might need more than what you need you might need more than just like 12 water energies for your attacks you might need a little bit more just so you can get the bonus attachment every turn you know because you're especially in a lower power cube you're setting up the stage two you want the payoff so you have to think about your deck and how it functions and like what the deck needs i think so often i think the thing that bothers me is that i see people when they build decks, they kind of just, uh, I want to say brain dead, you know, like they, they kind of just go off, off, uh, uh, what they've done before. It's like, you know, I'm, it doesn't matter what deck they're playing. Like, okay, I'm just going to put 12 energy in this deck because I usually just play an energy with 12 energies in it. Or I play a deck with 12 energies in it. And, and I mean, for personal experience, I've been there before too, but what, what really what you want to do, and this might help a lot of people out there level up in their, in, in their cube building, deck building is, is thinking what your deck is trying to do and what energies it needs to find to succeed. So like in a deck like Chestnut, deck like Golem, like if you miss an attachment, the deck's already pretty slow. You're you're setting yourself back even a little bit more by missing those attachments. So you have to think about how valuable is an attachment and how much energy do I need to run? Is an energy card worth more than say even like a like a power card, like a like a stamp or a um, or like a field blower is probably a better example. So when you're when you're editing your deck, you have to think about what my archetype is trying to do, how important is each attachment, and if you're playing a deck like maybe like I know I had this decision when I was playing the control deck in uh, Delta Mutant that energy the energy line was honestly one of the hardest things to come to a a good conclusion to because uh, as control you don't generally need a ton of energy. Uh, I mean like Bundle B attacks for one energy, um, Sableye attacks for one energy, but if I don't have energy, I'm not attacking. So uh, I couldn't I couldn't operate with just like four energies, right? So um, the question became, okay, well, how do I maximize my outs to energy and um, and still have enough? And I had to toy with that a little bit 
But even in decks like that where you're still attacking for low, I think I landed on about seven, which is kind of low, but I also had stuff like uh, Furret with the energy search and as well as like a bajillion quick search effects. But, you know, <laughs> not having all of those, I still had to play a significant amount of energy just to even, you know, attack consistently. So even when you have a bunch of search effects, you, you still got to think about the energy cost still has to be, you know, somewhat high. So... I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like in every deck. I mean, besides the exceptions, obviously you know, like Stormfront Gyarados, obviously would need a lot of energy to function. But uh, it, it's surprising the amount of energy costs uh, you would think a deck would need that even has like the lowest counts. Yeah, and uh, one thing too, I, I, you've you've mentioned a couple of really good tips on the level up moments. Uh, one other thing that I think you can do to uh, level up your cube game is just adjust your base count. I think a lot of people start with 12 energy when they're deck building, and that's just not enough. Um, I've seen so many games lost. I've lost games by playing 12 energy. It's just generally not enough. Um, so if you just adjust your baseline count to 14 and go from there, you are going to miss energy so much less, and uh, it's almost certainly going to have a pretty positive impact on your games in a, in a large scale. I know 14's been my baseline recently, and I've really liked it. I definitely agree that 12 feels really tight. Um, and I think the real question when I get to those points where like I only have 12 energy in here is like, okay, there has to be a hard cut in here somewhere for energy. And I think that's where some people like take solace and they're like, oh, well, you know what? I had 12 energies. I made some tough cuts. I don't really want I, I, I can't think of another card to cut. If you get to that moment, there's absolutely a card to cut in there, and that's what makes cube hard. So suck it up. <laughs> you gotta find room for 14. Yeah, if you just make yourself play more, then um, you will eventually get into better positions as far as understanding when it might be okay to cut down. But uh, don't don't uh, people too freely cut down to like 12 and fewer. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree. The thing that I, uh, the next point I wanted to bring up here is, um, and we talked, we actually have a whole episode about this, about DCE, and I guess Double Rainbow by Association. So I, I think DCE and Double Rainbow can sort of, I, I say sort of because they are technically like two energies. Um, and they kind of depend on how your deck functions. So if, you're, if your deck honestly has access to like, you know, a bunch of DCEs, a bunch of Double, drag, or double Rainbow energies, um, depending on the deck, like you might need less. But you have to think about like at least how those cards are going to impact your game, and I don't know, Connor. Do you have a good example of maybe like is there any like DC lines and cube you've you've like played that like have need like significantly less energy requirements from it? It really just depends on the quantity mm -hmm. you have. If you have like four double colorless energy, then you're going to be able to build your deck in a different way than if you have like one or two. Uh, if you have one or two double colorless energy, you can't say that each DCE counts for two energy. Think about Double Colorless less of a two energy card and more of a tempo card. So when you draw it, it's going to buy you time. You're going to attack faster. But when you're not drawing that card, you essentially only still have the one energy in your deck. So once you get up to like four plus, that's when you can start to adjust your counts and think, you know, I have so many double colorless energy in my deck. It's very likely that I'm going to draw a couple in the early turns of the game. Now I can start to lower my count and build my deck around this more. So it, it really, it just depends. Yeah. Kind of like a side tangent that's for me personally, been really interesting to at least observe as standard has changed over the years. Cause I, I got in around the beginning of sun and moon 
And, you know, DCE was such a big card when I started playing. Like, every deck I felt like that was, like, popular was running four copies of that. And especially in 2018 when you had Zorark was a deck. So Zorark operated, which is, like, four DCEs. Uh, and that was it. Granted, it had puzzles at one point. But there was a point where you know, Zorark only ran four DCEs and that was it. And it didn't have any recovery. Um, but it was fine because, I mean, you evolve into a stage one. You have this trade ability. It's going to let you uh, draw into more cards. The likelihood you find it was pretty high. You can run other tech cards alongside it. I don't need to get into the schematics of Zorak, but, um, you know, it kind of changes your perception of deck player when you look at how things have changed to now, especially when tag teams released. It was a lot less of a DCE. I mean, DCE obviously isn't in the format unless you count Wind Energy, but if you look at a card like Pikaram, it's completely DCE non-compatible. Uh, three Lightning Energy used to be even a tech, but obviously it has a pretty good effect. You know, it gets like three. So it's interesting to see the energy counts of decks went up dramatically once Double Colorless rotated out of the format. Or even before that, because I know there was a brief point where they both were in the same format. But uh, as a deck builder, it really does change your perspective. Because before, if you were used to playing decks like Zork, or maybe even um, Seismato decks, also were kind of in the same boat, where like, you can find your attachment pretty easily. You know, you're not too worried about it. You know, Double Colorless is going to let you keep tempo you know, no matter what. As opposed to decks like Pikaram, or even I think Roshi Star maybe is a better example, that need, absolutely need to be playing Welder or finding attachments every turn. The gameplay is totally different depending on what style of deck you're playing, right? Because like a deck like Zorak has more draw and it can afford to not have DC in its opening hand, where a deck like Roshizard needs like to play Welder every turn. And if it doesn't have enough fire energies to play the game, it falls behind so fast. And I think that's kind of encompassing what happens in cube. Um, just as you know, as you're playing the game, if your deck isn't as reliant on attachments, yeah, DC can kind of change your your outlook here, depending on how many you have, of course. But you know, most cube decks, like you know, you have to think about your attachment being how, like, what what's how much energy you're going to need to scale into a big attack, and how much is that going to change. So I think double rainbow can kind of affect that a little bit too, just because it counts as two different colored energies. But still, nonetheless, it's interesting to see how like that the the tempo card, as you said, which which I think is fair. How, how that affects deck building on like a larger scale. Yeah. Uh, you know, things change over time. Like uh, when triple was in standard, people played more than four energy in Zoroark. Um, so it, it really just depends on what decks have access to and what decks need to operate. Um, you know, if you had puzzles, you'd never play seven energy in Zoroark because it would just not be needed. Um, and, and the same goes for cube too. Uh, if you have a very streamlined energy line and you have very comfortable access to it, then that's another instance where you might be able to drop your line down, but you need to be very realistic with what your draw and consistency capabilities are when you're assessing your line, because you're not building standard Zoroark unless you're playing Zoroark cube. And, and even then a lot of the time Zoroark cube, um, doesn't actually have like a standard level Zoroark deck come out of it. So you just have to be very critical and, and assess your deck in a realistic way, as opposed to, uh, you know, I've seen this work in standard, so it must work kind of way. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, I feel like we've talked long enough about your deck archetype, what your deck's trying to do. Um, the next thing uh, you, you should consider um, when you're, when you're trying to set energy counts is the power level of the cube. So I think in most cases, like strictly most cases, like 14 energies is where you want to go. Um, but a couple questions you want to ask yourself, though, just to edit that, how you want to edit that down is how many Pokemon you're going to need to set up to attack with? 
So, like, in the lowest power of cubes, you're attacking with maybe four to five to six Pokemon, right? Um, but in high power, and mostly high power with GXs, uh, that number is pretty much almost in half, depending on the deck, of course. Obviously, we saw decks from Vents Cube, like Como, um, that, that, that obviously are the exception. But if your deck's very GX heavy and it's worth three prizes per Pokemon, or two prizes per Pokemon, uh, you aren't going to need to set up as many Pokemon, so your energy counts can vary based on your attacking needs. Um, this is something you want to look at, very important, um, and it's something that I think a lot of people are used to in the standard is as having the higher prize Pokemon. Uh, you're less expected to set up these bonds. Um, and I, I, generally when you're going from power level to power level, I feel like 14 does stay pretty consistent, but uh, I, I think the question usually boils down to a power level is, we kind of, I mean, we already talked about this, but how important the attachment is going to be. So you have some formats or some cubes where it, the tempo's fast, it's very aggressive, and one missed attachment, and the game can snowball very quickly. So in, in those kind of situations, even though your attackers might be less in quantity of set up, that's where attachments, again, come in very key here to, to think about because, you know, you miss an attachment, then um, then that can be, like, a huge disadvantage. So uh, the question is less about, okay, how much energy do I need to attack with? How much en The question is more like, how much energy do I need to see that I can, how much can I play that I can see energy each turn? That's kind of the more of the extreme example. The other side of it in slower formats, you know, you can afford uh you could afford to miss maybe a few turns of attachment, maybe one or two, because you have more like I'll obviously have more a lot more turns to play the game. That's not to say, you know, you should run with like six energies in a lower power cube, but that's to say like maybe the difference between like, you know, sixteen to fourteen, you know, is isn't as bad, depending on the deck you're playing. Um in general, like Connor, do you see any differences with high power as it relates, or sorry, not high power, power levels as it relates to uh, uh, energy counts? Yeah, absolutely. In a, in a very conventional low power cube, which I, I think is pretty rare, but uh, they do exist. Uh, so, for example, Silver Car 42's cube, we've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, that cube, you play a lot of turns, you have a lot of time, and missing an attachment is very far from the end of the world. So um, I know I've won that cube playing like 12 energy in decks that probably could have gone up to 14. Um, and maybe I missed a turn or two out of it, but it ultimately did not matter because my strategy was strong enough that given the longer game, I was able to come back and take the win. Alternatively, high power. If you miss a turn in high power, regardless of how many attackers you're going to use, you know, in a GX-based format, it's going to be even crazier, but... Um, if you miss an attachment in high power and you miss an attack because of that, you are probably going to lose the game. Uh, that's just how high power is. You need to make a very consistent deck that executes its strategy very quickly and very reliably, and getting an attachment every single turn is often a part of that and a critical part of that. So missing that attachment is, is huge in certain power levels. It's a lot less important in lower power levels. And that also affects your ability to take advantage of things like recursive effects. So this also goes to how many attackers you have. So for example, if I'm playing a high power cube and I expect the game to be over in five turns or so because I'm playing a bunch of GXs, a card like Superior Energy Retrieval is not very good because I'm not going to have that much opportunity to get a ton of energy in my discard. There are only going to be a couple of turns of the game where that card is going to be playable. And, and playable to good effect at that. But in a low power cube where 
you know, maybe halfway through the game, I already have six, seven energy in my in my discard superiors live for a huge chunk of the game. And in, in those cubes, I actually love that card just pretty much in anything. So it, it really depends a lot. You do need to think about your game plan in the sense of how many energy are you actually going to need to close at a game uh, in a GX focused cube. You might need to set up three attacker, or three attackers. Each of those attackers might need three energy. So you can play 13, 14, and you have plenty left over to account for things like retreating, um, you know, making sure you hit them every single time, and, and you'll be good. Um, but in a lower power cube where you might need five, six attackers in a game that all use three energy, well, you start to climb up into the 15, 18 energy just to attack all game. So you need to think about things like, do I have ways to accelerate energy from my discard? Do I have ways to recover energy to make sure I can finish out the game? Nothing feels worse than running out of energy and losing the game because of it. So it is really important to consider exactly how your deck is going to play in those ways. How many effects do you have that are going to be discarding energy before you can attach them? You know, things like Sycamore, Juniper, uh, Misty's Wrath, all these popular cards. So there's a lot to consider, and power level and uh, the cadence of the game is another really important piece of that. Yeah, I, I think that's something that, like, again, if people go on, like, autopilot, like, you don't really consider, like, the the format you're playing in. So, like, when you're jumping from Slower Cars Cube to maybe even Vents Cube, I mean, the amount of turns you're going to get from Slower Cars Cube to Vents Cube is, is insanely different. So the game plays out very differently. <laughs> Uh, and that's something that I, even I've had to like think about and like when I go from one cube to the next I think one of the best like uh, I guess examples is when you go from like I guess like the cube league cube to maybe the team challenge cube because they can vary in power level pretty highly I mean um, we had when we had Vince cube going on you had Vince cube uh, being played and you also had you know more I don't remember what team challenge cube was up by then but it was it was a, it was a more mid power cube and you kind of have to be able to make those decisions based on you know more than just I think this amount of energy counts feels right. You have to really examine the uh, the playing field and what you're going to be expected to do and how many turns the game is going to be. You know, all the components is going to make you a better deck builder. Not even in just cube, but like in general, like when you're playing Pokemon, considering what the game is going to look like when you play it and like what that is going to be, you know, you can think about what is optimal for my energy counts. And it might seem very minute, very, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, boring. Like, okay, well, I just need this much energy tech. But honestly, I kind of been saying, lots of games have honestly been lost because someone missed an attachment or someone didn't have enough energy to finish the game. And we've all been there. Honestly, I think everyone's been there. And it feels rough. So, and a lot of that can come down to maybe not having the foresight of examining, like, what the, what the power level of the cube is going to be. Just be, uh, just because you need the um, you know the turns to play it. So uh, when you're when you're examining power level, definitely think about like the thing we talked about and like how many turns you're gonna have uh, to to execute your strategy. Uh, the last thing on this list, and honestly, it, it's the most one of the most important factors in my opinion, is your consistency and recovery. So uh, to kind of break that down, so some uh, some consistent energy work on energy like Delcat we talked about. So one of the considerations, we, I mean, we mentioned in the beginning, but does your deck utilize something like Delcaddy or Heat Factory or Scorched Earth, um, any of those things. So decks that use these cards that need energy to, to attach and adult cards need a little bit more than what you would expect uh, a normal deck needs. So like 
if your deck is going to need to uh, discard energy with Delcaddy in order to draw cards, but you also are going to need energies to attach. Now you need to see almost twice as many energies as, as you normally would to utilize a powerful card like Delcaddy or Heat Factory for that matter. Um, sometimes even like if you're running a Heat Factory engine in like maybe a mixed energy kind of style, you might need to find a good balance between fires and uh, whatever type you're playing. So in those instances, you got to think about, okay, how much energy do I need to find for an attachment of this type? Or how much energy am I going to need to find an attachment and to draw with? The benefit, of course, being you're thinning out your deck, you're accumulating more cards, a better hand advantage. So that's not to say there's not upsides. But uh, far too often have I, have I seen and have I done before in the past, thrown Delcaddy into a deck and, you know, gone with too few energies and either have run out of energies using Delcaddy or not been able to use the uh, the powerful effect because you need to attach. So that's, that's honestly one of the first things you have to look at. And it's kind of encompassing of the first point of looking at your deck. But if your deck is utilizing those kind of uh, energy, those kind of energy draws, um, you have to consider that. The other part of that too is how much energy search does your deck have? So... If your deck obviously could be dependent on attachments, if you have, say, cards like uh, like Bronzong that lets you uh, search for two energy cards, or Furret, same kind of ability, even stadiums like Viridian Forest, uh, Giant Hearth, uh, those kind of things. Even, uh, even Training Court can also kind of be in the same realm. Things that are going to let you hit your attachment. Also, stuff like Professor Slater as well, stuff like that. Um, that, 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 that those can sometimes... And I say sometimes with like, you know, in bold, uh, act as energy cards in the sense that it's going to help you find extra energies. Now, of course, you do need a baseline energy count to get through the game. But if you have cards like that, extra consistency for those things, sometimes those can be better. Sometimes a prop letter can be better than an energy. And that can influence your energy count too. Um, so don't discount those. Um, but those have value in those ways. Connor, do you have any other examples or anything you want to say on that point? Um it's it's all about you know this is something that we've gone back to and talked about in many many episodes and i'm gonna go over it again because i think it's relevant again sure. um you got to think about how your game is going to play you know um you think about energy draw separately from your attacks and it's very easy to get disconnected and real not realize how low your energy count is or how few options you have to get those energy back um it uh, it's a trap that I've seen a lot of people walk into. I know I've walked into it myself. And uh, again, just think about, you know, turn over turn. I need this many energy. Um, maybe I want to use energy draw about five times in a game or six times. You don't have to get that crazy with it. Maybe you just say, I want to energy draw every turn. And that's a great goal. Uh, assess, you know, how many energy that means you're going to need to hit. How often does that mean you're going to need to draw extra energy? Things like that. Um, that's a, a really big consideration to make. And again, in a higher power cube, you, you'd still play Delcaddy in most decks, but you maybe only get three or four energy draws out of it, and that's fine. Uh, so you, you don't need to tailor your, your energy requirements quite so strong as you might in a slower cube. So it really just depends, and um, thinking about the game in practice is the key, once again. So assuming like it's like a normal like attacking deck, maybe like average like three attacking costs, like, how would you then scale up to, like, a like a Delcaddy engine? Like, if your baseline maybe looks around 14, do you think maybe, like, 15 or 16, depending on if you have, like, average recovery, is, like, fine there? Yeah, it depends. Uh, if I'm in a Delcaddy deck, I'm really looking for something like Superior uh, or Recycler. Mm -hmm. um, something that recovers me, like, 4-plus energy. Uh, Fisherman's also okay. 
But uh, so those cards in a Delicati deck go way up. Um, if I don't have any of those effects, like if I have no energy recovery, let's say all I have is maybe a Night Maintenance, uh, which is probably going to need to get some Pokemon back, I wouldn't look at you funny if you went up to like 16, 17. You, 18 is where it starts to get a little bit heavy. I'm like, eh, I don't know. Um, and in some decks, I would I would go up as high as... Um, like 20. I've seen a cube recently that had Magnazone Prime and most of the attackers had 150 or 160 HP and I'm like yeah I'd absolutely play 20 energy in that deck just to be able to actually take all your prizes. So um, in a deck with Delcaddy I would say no fewer than 14 unless there's one case where it's okay to go fewer than 14 and that's if you have something like Space Beacon Starmie, and you can recover energy every single turn out of your discard. Those effects are rare, but they can really facilitate an energy draw engine well. So that is a caveat. Uh, I think you'd be just fine by going to like 12, 13 energy in a case like that, just because you can Space Beacon for a lot of it. But do keep in mind as well, if you're trying to hit your attachment every single turn, then that's one energy that's going to come out of your discard every single turn. So you're going to have to continue to hit more, even with Space Beacon. Uh, so things like that. Um, you know, there, there are lots and lots of fringe cases where your energy might go up or down by, by one or two, depending on what recovery you have access to. But if you are using a deck with things like Scorched Earth, Delcaddy, Heat Factory, Prism Star, Pokemon that discard lots of energies... Um, you know, cards like Fisherman that you really might not even give a second thought in a lot of cases are very, very good. So uh, keep an eye out for that and uh, not only tailor, tailor your energy line to your deck, but tailor your deck to your energy line and the way you expect to use energy in a game. And, uh, and you'll end up uh, missing energy less and uh, having what you need as far as resources go more often. Yeah, I definitely think I definitely agree with that. Um, something else too that I kind of go by is, uh, you know, if you need a general baseline, I like to have at least. And this isn't like a hard rule or anything, and obviously, like I I deviate it from all the time because draft is very unpredictable. But it, assuming like it's not like an ultra high cube where you can where you can't really use support recovery, I like to have at least maybe a copy of stretchers or a copy of super rod or something of the of that nature, like an item based recovery and then like a supporter based recovery. And I feel like that kind of rounds you out. Connor, I don't know if you have any other like trends like that, as far as like amount of recovery, it's good to draft for these kind of decks. Uh, I'm not as high on supporter based recovery. I do think supporter based recovery is really good in Delcaddy decks just because yeah. uh, you can more often afford to use your supporter on things other than consistency. But uh, so, so like a Brock's grid or a Palmer's contribution can be really nice in a Delcaddy deck. But uh, in general, if uh, so, my my general cube deck, I like to have two recovery cards, mm -hmm. um, just like general versatile ones that get back at least Pokemon, preferably Pokemon or energy. But you know, Rescue Stretcher would definitely fit into that for me. But I need at least one card that will get back energy. If I'm playing a Delcaddy deck, I need either two recovery cards that can both get back energy, or one. A recovery card that gets back a lot of energy uh, in addition to pokemon recovery so um things like you know if i have one rescue stretcher and then i have recycler then i feel okay i would still generally prefer to have another effect that can recycle pokemon just because i do really love pokemon recovery in cube um however you know 
sometimes you got to be realistic. And uh, if you had a stretcher and a recycler, a-okay in a, in a Del Caddy deck. That is perfectly acceptable. It, it really just depends. But th those would be my kind of safe spots. I would say if you're expecting to discard a lot of energy in a game, add at least one card that recovers energy, um, and you should be okay. Yeah, I, th I think that's something that I, I see often players that kind of forget about last minute, uh, especially during the draft. Now, obviously, like, in most cases, you don't need to, like, pack one, pick one, like, Rescue Scratcher or Super Rod. Uh, but, like, when you're in the draft, you get to be thinking about recovery a lot because, um, you know, if you are not if you don't have access to recovery, I mean, basically what, like, Super Rod, keep wanting to call Super Rod Rescue Scratcher, and I don't know why, but Super Rod lets you do is it, it, it gives you access to up to three more energies. Now, realistically, you're going to be using Super Rod to also recover Pokemon, so... You can't just go off that, but um, if Super Rod can help recover like even one or two energies, like that's saving you deck spot, and it has more utility spot as well because you I mean obviously you recover Pokemon with it at the same time. But if your deck doesn't have any of that recovery, and obviously you need energy to play the game, you know those kind of slots that those things that really give your deck more utility or you know different options, um, you, you those have to become energy because you know you have to attack right. Um, so when you're drafting, you got to think about those cards. Like, do I have a way to recover energy? And is that worth more than, I don't know, even like some power cards like Field Blower or... I don't know if anyone takes Super Rod over Field Blower, but I feel like it comes up more so like midway through the draft where players make greedy decisions or like, okay, I need my I can get my, my, my third Pont or I can take Super Rod. If you have no recovery, I would almost consider it a Super Rod because... Chances are, I mean, obviously it depends. Not everything's just black and white, but you have to really look at, like, you know, how much recovery is in the queue. But, like, you know, if you don't have that recovery in your draft pool and chances are you're not going to see it later on, it's always worth taking. And this isn't really an episode about drafting uh, recovery, but it, it is something to consider when you're thinking about energy counts is that super rod in your draft pool affects the amount of energy you can put into your deck or how much energy you can get away with in your deck, I should say. Because without energy recovery, you might have to add two or three more energy cards just to get through, but those could have been other cards because if you had Super Rod, it's going to be an extender for that. So I, I sometimes I just want to advise players, you know, definitely don't under undervalue the the value in energy recovery in your deck because that is going to save you a ton of space. It's going to give you more access, more energies. Now, what I would not do is say, okay, well, I have Super Rod. I can play 12 energies. We're fine. That's 15 energies total. Like that's not, that is not the message I'm trying to preach here. But if you have 14 energies per se and you have access to Super Rod, well then... If your attack costs are a bit higher or you can't afford to, you know, maybe run 13 energies uh, and those, and those just, yeah, yeah, that's, that's more acceptable. But you don't, the situation you don't want to be in is you have zero energy recovery, every attachment matters, and then you get into maybe a, a deck where you have like lots of discard effects like Misty's Wrath or Sycamore or even Oak. And suddenly those cards become a lot more painful to play because every energy you discard, you are not getting back. So moral of the story is... Don't undervalue energy recovery in the draft. Yeah, I was about to say when you said uh, take like Super Rod over Field Blower and I had like a fringe case, I was like, I pretty much always take Super Rod over Field Blower. But, right. um, yeah, I, I think the Super Rod versus Pont example is very interesting and, and it really reigns true in a lot of cases that if, if you have two Ponts and you have no recovery, then that Super Rod is a really appealing card and you should respect it, uh, you know, at least as much as it deserves. It's just something like you get to the end of the draft and you just, uh, you don't think about, uh, sometimes <laughs> it catches up with you. Um, it also is why it's a good idea to keep track of your draft pool, but man, I, 
having drafted a deck without recovery a few times, like you don't go back. <laughs> You're like, I, I, I have to have recovery now if I want if I want to play this game again because it, it feels awful. Yeah, no recovery does feel pretty bad. Yeah, it, it, and so like, moral story, just make sure you draft recovery cards. Uh, the the last topic really I wanted to get into here is something that, uh, honestly I'm still I, I feel like I'm still learning. It's 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 the mixed energy costs. And and that can vary depending on what deck you're playing and what cube you're playing, um, but it's it's really coming down to like how much different energies can you play and like what's the right amount and obviously it depends on the deck you're playing. But I wanted to dive into this a bit because I, I think it it's something that takes a lot of practice and something that's it, it takes a lot of considerations, especially all of the stuff we talked about here. So it's a little bit more of a complex topic. Um, the thing with mixed energy costs is that the higher amount of different energies you're playing it boils down to the less consistent of the strategy depending on generally speaking like if you have a lot of like energy surge like you had a fourth prof letter like a bunch of like, like or, or even if you had like um the bronzong that searches energy or something like that or the ferret like yeah okay that's a little bit different but in in, in, a, in a in a at face value if you're playing a, like if you need fire water grass fire fighting and like fairy energy for a deck your odds of finding that one specific energy are going to be lower. So you have to consider, and that's only an extreme case, they're kind of freshing it back. Let's just say your deck plays three different types of energy and it's a mid power cube. Um, your energy counts become a lot more interesting because you have to think about what attachments you are going to need. So if you're playing something like, I don't know, Ho-O-E-X, you're playing unutilized for a lot of different energy costs, you have to consider the likelihood of how often you're going to find different energy cards. And I think this is just like an interesting topic just because like, I feel like it, it varies a lot depending on the cube. And I've definitely played decks that were using way too many different energy costs because they didn't work for one. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and the changes like the amount of attachments you need, like Connor, do you have any thoughts in general on like mixed energies and cube cube decks, I guess specifically? Yeah, yeah. I think um, actually putting together mixed energy lines are one of the things that I'm best at in Cube. Um, it is a skill that I have learned by getting it wrong very many times. <laughs> and so um, the there are a few big things that you really have to think about um, when you are making a deck with a mixed energy line. And I'm I'm pulling up a deck list of mine right now to uh, to have an example in front of me. So. So a lot of the time, um, your deck will have a primary type of energy. Um, not, not always. Sometimes it'll be split like half and half or three ways, and that's totally fine. Um, so, for example, I, I have a Blaziken deck list pulled up right here. Uh, and uh, and most of my attackers need other energy types. Uh, I have a stage two that needs a fighting. I have uh, a couple of basics, Lugia, Rayquaza, Rayquaza EX, um, two different Rayquazas. All of them need lightning. Lugia needs water as well. But then you look at my energy line, and it is one Holon's Pokemon, one blend WLFM, um, one rainbow, two colorless specials, and then seven fires, two lightnings, and one water. And the reason why it's so important to have such a high fire count is I want to be using Fire Starter Blaziken every single turn because that's how my deck is going to win. So even though 
I have lots of non-fire attacking costs. It's so important for me to get the fire energy, get them into the discard, get them on Pokemon and have those Pokemon knocked out so that I can accelerate them and keep my game plan going that I can afford... It, it, I need the fires more than the other colors even though I need the other colors to attack. Uh, in addition, I've played a card in this deck to patch that up. Not only do I have the Holon's Magneton, which is a great asset in pretty much any deck, but... I'm playing a Vital Dance or a Choreo, which when you bench it, you can search your deck for two basic energy and put them into your hand. So I knew that this deck was going to have a strange energy setup um, just because of how it was, because it had several different costs, because I needed a heavy fire base. Uh, so I included the Oricorio to allow me to get the right color of energy on attackers in the early game and have that reliable out to finding energy really at any stage of the game that would allow me to actually attack. Uh, and so those are really huge things. You know, look for ways that you can make your energy line even more consistent. Like this Oricorio can make crazy energy lines consistent. You could play an Evolution deck with five different energy types. And if you have the Oricorio, most of the time you're going to get it consistent. Um, things like Double Viridian Forest can be really good. Cycler Bronzong. I love ways to fix your energy if you are going to go for a more dedicated multicolored energy deck. Um, if you're only going for two energy types and you don't have an engine, then in that case, you might think about, you know, what's your concentration of attackers, which attacker needs more of one type. So, you know, maybe I'm playing Don Fan Zoroark and Don Fan has lots of very heavy fighting energy requirements and Zoroark has, you know, a dark cost here and there, but mostly colorless. I would make my energy line dominantly fighting because most of the time the fighting energy are going to satisfy the cost of the Zoroark in addition to being necessary for the Don fan. If I draw a fighting with a Zoroark, most of the time it's going to be okay. If I draw a dark with a Don fan, my deck, it's basically missed an energy for the turn. So those are lots of things to think about. I think this is probably a topic we could go into all in of itself because there's, there's a lot to say on it. But um, the, the summary is to look for cheat codes Things like Oricorio, um, Smeargle with uh, the color change or something. It, it searches your discard for an energy and switches it with one on your active. Um, Cycler Bronzong, all those good things. And and a really important part of that is searchability. So like Professor's Letter, same effect as Oricorio, but you can't search for Professor's Letter nearly as easily in almost every deck. There are fringe decks that could, but... Um, as a result of that, it is not a reliable way to fix your energy compared to Oricorio, which is searchable by like half the cards in my deck. So it's going to be a lot easier to get to when I need it. So things like that, find your cheat codes, uh, assess what energy you're going to need, both for your engine. Your engine needs to come first. And if your engine doesn't have the right colors of energy for your attackers, you know, if I draft Firestarter Blaziken and I'm playing, I go back to Donphan, and half my Don fans have no colorless energy requirements, those don't really go together very well. I'm not going to be able to get much value out of that Blaziken. So do consider that as well. Uh, I assume at this point you've probably gotten past where you can assess whether or not you might even want to play it, and you're thinking about more how to actually allocate the energy. But if you want to get an energy in play every turn, of course you're going to need to invest more in your engine, whereas if you want to get an energy in play incidentally every now and then, you can drop it down a little bit. You know, I could maybe play four fires. If I only really wanted a fire starter three times in a game, that'd be totally fine. Um, so 
there's that. And then also assess the density of your attackers and the uh, cost requirements of those attackers. You know, even if I'm playing 4-4 four, four Zoroark and 2-2 two, two Donphan, it still might be better to play 9 Fighting and 4 Dark. So really just depends. Um, assess the actual costs on your cards, assess the engines that you want to use, and then go from there. I really like this topic in general, specifically mixed energies, because it it really does play on a lot of the nuances in cube. I feel like there's a lot of different ways you can you can go about it, and I definitely agree with everything you said. It, it's just interesting because you have to really examine the deck you're playing. I feel and take advantage of like certain effects. Like so, if you if you have an attacker that's majority colorless attacks, like you said, I think it's really cool that you can like you know think about it in those terms. Like okay, so like the fighting energy works better with both lines, but the dark energy doesn't work one of the lines that's that's like one of those like higher level things you can think about that I, I feel like really does come down to your understanding of cube and understanding of really what's the deck you're trying to build just like what we started with so uh i i don't know i i, I if you guys want a whole episode on this just let us know but i i really enjoy like that part of that cube where you have to really it really plays on the understanding you have of the deck you're trying to build yeah i, I love talking about that kind of thing it can be it can be kind of dry <laughs> so um, I don't think we'll make it unless people ask for it, but if you want an episode about um, splitting energy types or any other like really granular topic, then uh, please let us know in the comments or on Twitter or wherever. Yeah, but uh, in, in summary, so for energy costs, uh, if you take nothing else from this, just put four, at least 14 in your deck. Um, but uh, to get a little bit more fancy than that, I mean, obviously, think about the deck you're trying to play. Uh, and really consider like what the energy costs are on your attacker. I know that sounds obvious, but you'd be surprised how much energy you, you would need if you if you read the amount of attack costs you're going to need. Um, really evaluate the power level of the cube. Understand how many turns you're going to be playing. Like what effects are going to be worth playing because of that as far as energy is concerned. Uh, like Connor said, like superior energy fuel has diminishing returns depending on the amount of turns you don't have. You don't have a lot of turns to play it. It's obviously a worse card, but Think about the power level and like how many things you're going to have to play. And then last but not least, obviously, consistency and recovery. If you don't have recovery, you're going to need more energy. If you do have recovery, you still need energy, but you can play around with the numbers a little bit. Um, obviously, also look at your your deck's draw engine. If it's Delcaddy related, this honestly could have also been noted as an episode of How to Build Delcaddy Decks, but I digress. <laughs> um, if your deck's utilizing a, deck, a draw engine like Delcaddy, you're going to need more than what you think because you're going to need to use it to draw and to attach. Um, just stuff to consider. And last but not least, I already said that, but uh, mixed energy costs. Uh, something that you got to really think about is obviously the synergies of your lines and thinking about the energy types you're going to need to play and what is better to attach, which energy is better to attach in what case. So lots of stuff to unpack here. Hopefully this was uh, beneficial for you all listening. I know this was kind of a longer one, but Connor, any last minute thoughts on energy counts in cube? Who knew that this would be a topic of discussion? Stop playing 12 energy. Stop. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> that, that's my that's my number one takeaway. Stop playing 12 energy. Um, no, but in seriousness, um, if you are a skilled cube player, one way that you can look to continue to improve your game that you may have taken for granted uh, in the past is really understanding your energy line and why you play certain counts and where you might need to increase your counts and where you can maybe thin it out a little bit. So... Be very conscious of that the next time you play your cube or someone else's uh, and see uh, see if you can maybe identify uh, an extra card you can sneak in or where you might need to trim a little bit of fat to get that energy in. Well said. All right. Well, we've talked about energy long enough. 
Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, that's gonna wrap this one up though. We're gonna be right back with the conclusion in just a second, so stick around. Alright, welcome back to our conclusion. Just want to throw one more reminder out there that Champs Cube is coming up August 14th. Uh, obviously, more deals need just a DLC. <laughs> Details are coming in the next episode, which will be out uh, two weeks from now. So, whatever day that is, I don't have a calendar in front of me, but uh, the 12th. Yeah. So, we are, we are back off our break, so we can expect episodes every other week. Speaking of DLC, uh, I do accept bribes to disclose the current results of the polls for Champs Cube. So, you know, if you want to leg up on how to influence the voting, then, you know, we can talk. Just send me a message. <laughs> Carmen's ready to make some deals. So, hey, well. I mean, any anything that I can get before the event is uh, more that I can put toward the event and not have to pay myself. So that uh... <laughs> fair enough. So. Uh, I obviously won't be playing. I will be live streaming, but Connor, you will be playing, right? Trying to win your money back. I indeed will be. I'm going in first seed for the third time, and I'm desperately hoping that I don't go out in the first three rounds for the third time. So <laughs> this time, just trying to make it to round four. Now, granted, I get to skip the first two rounds this time. So if I go out in round three, we're going to have a real problem. But yeah, I was going to say you have you have two round buys. So I do. <laughs> I, I earned a two round buy. I actually am making it up to 110 points, I think. So I'm like, oh, man, we should have we should have gone up that extra tier. We went 50, 80, should have jumped up to 110. You know, call it the slight buy, get an extra <laughs> round three buy. Uh, no, of course, I'm just joking. Um, I'm, I'm just really excited to play. Uh, I'm also excited uh, to be able to have given players that played all season and did very well all season uh, an additional advantage in the event because while seeding was big before, once you were in the event, you know, everybody was pretty good. So a lot of the time you would end up playing against a player who was really good and only played in a couple of events. So it didn't really feel like uh, like you had earned much other than, you know, the, the place on the rankings. But uh, I'm very excited for the format. Very excited to see which cube goes. You know, I, I know I have my preference for which one wins, but uh, no spoilers on that front. Again, unless, you know, talk PayPal and then then I'm happy to tell you what I voted for. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely check out those details in the description, right? Um, shout outs to um, Setnelia. They made it. I'm pretty sure Setnelia made it in Champs Cube, right? Yeah, Setnelia has topped uh, two leagues in a row now. Yeah, and they're new to the Discord. Yes. I was, I, I've played against them before. Very nice. Very nice to play against. I, I just noticed that they made it in. I was like, wow, that's awesome. You love seeing that, honestly. New people coming in and just, like, cleaning house. Yeah, and um, Card CQ. So Benjamin Grove uh, made it in with this top eight. Card CQ, if he wins his top eight match, then he is in as well. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, lots of lots of new player success. You know, we've talked about Vic plenty of times in the podcast, but Vic coming in in his first season and getting a two-round bye is really incredible as well. Um, so just uh, lots, of, lots of awesome success stories and really excited to see the new players coming in and putting up such strong results against uh, some of the old dogs. So great to see makes me really happy makes me really excited for champs cube too to have all these new people in this is going to be the biggest champs cube yet we have the highest number of qualifiers it's also probably the hardest one to qualify for yet as well um 
it is you know the leagues are harder the leagues functionally give out the same number of points that they did before and team showdown gives out fewer points than it did before because we increased the point requirement so um it uh it's the hardest one to qualify for we have the most people in it and i'm just super excited i'm right there with you i'm i'm super excited to stream this i mean obviously like if i didn't enjoy watching these games so much i wouldn't want to do it but like man streaming champs cube is so much fun just because there's like some really intense gameplay lots of just like really good gameplay to analyze so i mean like if you're interested in watching cube games man we got you covered um and then of course davi helping out being huge clutch like the man he is because he's, he's he's really helping out with all the visuals everything all the extra stream work like he he's like he he's a huge help so shout out to davi too um man deserves so much credit he does so much work yeah davi helps out so much i know especially with like the the p cube series um he's pretty much yeah. on it like every weekend which is amazing yeah it does davi's huge helps shout out to davi being awesome but uh hope you guys tune in um i mean it, it'll be a fun time it's it, it always was i mean i was really happy to stream it the last time and now production quality's gone up even more since also got better internet so <laughs> stream will hopefully also flow a lot better so very excited for that as well but uh yeah i think that's a lot about cube uh, anything new going on with you connor especially since it's been technically it's been a month since we recorded i know the episodes came out not in that order but <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh well i'm taking my first uh vacation in like my professional life my first real more than one day vacation uh, next week so i'm really excited for that um i was making a dinner reservation and i thought there was lots of availability and i went on and there was no availability so i panicked and i looked for the first spot i could find which was 5 p.m on tuesday and that's totally fine you know you're on vacation every day is a weekday uh, and then i realized that i was looking at slots for this week and not next week <laughs> So uh, long story short, we're going to eat at that restaurant two times in the span of a week. And I'm pretty excited for that. But <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an awesome story. What, what kind of restaurant is it? Uh, so it's a place called Indo. Uh, it's, okay. it's the best uh, like Japanese Southeast Asian restaurant in St. Louis. Um, they have really phenomenal quality food. They actually overnight their seafood in from like Japan and Southeast Asia. So it's about the best quality you can possibly get in the world you know aside from uh being in japan where uh they wouldn't have had to have overnighted it in they would have just caught it and gone to the market in the morning so really fantastic quality the chef there puts together super interesting dishes and uh and the nigiri is unparalleled quality uh, except for nippon te which shares a supplier so <laughs> uh that's another excellent sushi place in the area but Strong, strong recommendation. Anybody in the STL area or traveling through St. Louis, stop by Indo. Make sure you get that reservation, though, because you will probably not get in without it. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of this place. It looks legit. It's so good. Oh, it's my gosh. me hungry. It's so good. <laughs> I'll try that sometime. But congrats, man, on the vacation, man. Mental health is always important, so it's always good to get some time off. Yeah, it's going to be great. Reserving at least half of it for not not at least half, but at least a few days for uh for not doing very much. So that's going to going to be nice. Some, uh, Pokemon Unite. Oh my gosh, I've been playing so much Pokemon Unite. Holy cow. Yeah, so I I just started playing it yesterday. Uh, it, it's a ton of fun. I was like, everyone was dogging on it when it was announced, maybe myself included. I was like, let's let's see. 
but then I, you know, it came out, right? Everyone's on it. And I tried it out. I think the only thing that I was missing from MOBAs was just no voice chat. <laughs> like, I haven't <laughs> talked to anybody. It, and just being garbage on my own terms it feels great. It really does make it so much easier to maintain a positive attitude after losing or having bad games. Just no chat. Right. Now, does it suck once you get to higher level play and you're like, guys, we really need to take mm-hmm. this objective and there's really no way to communicate it? Yes. However, the absence of flaming on and toxicity in any way is a totally worthwhile trade-off and uh and it's been great it's made been so much easier to play game after game and really just lose myself in it and enjoy it um i'm uh i'm up to ultra rank two right now so hoping to be up to master ball soon i'll be very excited for that um i've been i've been grinding and just enjoying the hell out of it it's been so fun I'm probably gonna go play some games after we're done here. I mean, it's such a, it's just a, a fun game you can just flip on, even if you like you don't know that much about MOBA. I played a little bit of League like years ago, just because I was like trying to get into something, and it was like it was cool. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm like you know an expert on it or like am like even like you know an an amateur pro, but <laughs> I I definitely like can appreciate like the skill involved in it or really like the the different skills involving understanding the characters. And I see some of that in here too with Unite. I really like that the different Pokemon have like some depth to them. There's there's definitely some skills skillings you can like you feel yourself getting better at the game too. Like I was just playing Gengar for a little bit yesterday. And like each game I'm like, oh, these I can do this, or I can combo these two together, or you know, here's how I can play this better. Like, I don't know. I, I get really hooked on games where I can feel my progression. So Unite, super fun game. Yeah, super fun game. Strong recommendation to everyone. Yes, it does have some unsavory monetization practices, but you don't <laughs> need to pay anything to have a good time with it. That's the way that I've been wording it. Um, people people play with level one items all the time, and they do very well, and it's a great time either way. So uh, don't yeah, don't let that hold you back. So like I'm super casual, and I I haven't invested anything yet. Granted, I'm a day in, but like I, I'm really enjoying it so far. Just learning what the game is, and like. Honestly, if I if I choose not to spend any money, I'll probably get like, you know a good like 10, 20 hours out of it just from just like you know being you know beginner and experiencing the game. But you know you, you invest what you know what you want. It's still got a lot of fun tools to it. And like honestly, I think we've had this conversation before. If you're getting like you know the same amount of value out of it as you would like a sixty dollar game, like the money spent, even if it's less than that, you're still getting that value out of it in return. I don't know. It's not an advertisement, obviously, if you're not sponsored, but sometimes I feel like in some games, like, that have some of those, like, cost requirements, like, well, all of them I'm not super crazy about, but, like, if I'm getting that value out of the game, I don't mind paying. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I'm, I'm that way, too. Um, if, uh, you know, if I can spend some money and have a better time, if I'm really enjoying it already, and, um, and I, you know, I, I didn't spend anything on it to actually buy it. You know, the, the cost of a new game is pretty high nowadays. So I feel feel pretty okay even then. Um, so hard to, hard, I don't know. I, I'm not too upset about that. I do think that, uh, you know, I have, I have my gripes here and there. But uh, on the whole, I've been really happy with it. Yeah. So Unite, super fun game. Go ahead and try it. Um gonna bring this up again we are five subscribers away from 100 so please 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 please, if you have not subscribed yet which i know 57 percent of you aren't watching on youtube um please do it really it really does go a long way 
Um, maybe hit the like button and comment, you know what I'm saying? But uh, we are so <laughs> close um, that if you haven't yet, get on it. But now, nah, really, all the support has been insane so far. Really looking forward to like even growing that more with the other uh other channels too even on like twitter or on twitch um uh, also looking to make more content too and now that we're we're back in action um hopefully one day i'm honestly this is a goal that i really would love to film a draft live like, that would be something really cool to see in living in st louis i feel like that's feasible so that's something i definitely i don't know when i don't know how but at some point man I'm, I'm really hoping at some point we can make some live draft content yeah, I think that'd be super sweet. It, it, the logistics of it are a lot more difficult than recording something online or, or making a podcast. <laughs> for sure. But, um, it would be really cool to see, for sure. You know, Magic has done it, and it's really interesting to see those drafts. So I think it can be done. Yeah, but we are we are inching closer to the 100 subscribers. But honestly, it's, it's just been really cool to have like now like a 16th epi- 16 episodes now on the board. Um, I don't know. It, it's just really nice to like... I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but it's just... <laughs> Just looking at it the other day, I was like, wow, this has really been going on for eight months, <laughs> almost eight months now. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. But, uh, and our, our cadence hasn't always been the most regular, but um, getting back to regularity now, and uh, just, I don't know, very excited, have a lot of energy about it. Huh? I know this en- episode was about energy, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> That's what you all came for. This is the right. last few minutes here, just that. The Connor, the Connor comedy hour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, this, uh, this episode I really enjoyed making, and uh, just excited to see what we can do from here. Yeah. Um, but that said, Anything else new going on? Um, had had a song stuck in my head on and off for the last like month, month and a half. I might have talked about it in the last podcast episode. That's how long it's been stuck in my head, and it's been on and off. So it's not been intrusive, and uh, I still love it. It's such a good song. It's called "What's Wrong" by Half Alive. I know I've talked about Half Alive on the podcast, oh, but yeah, I don't yeah. know if I've talked about that song specifically. So if I talked about it last episode. Listen to it if you haven't, because I'm going to keep on talking. No, I'm just kidding. This will probably be the last <laughs> time I bring it up, but uh, it is still stuck in my head from the last time we recorded, which was about a month ago. It's it's okay. Honestly, like, if we're, if we're talking about something we talked about a month ago, I'm still watching Bo Burnham's Inside. The, the, I've watched that special, I think, six or seven more times since we talked about it, and I still love it. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Oh, I still have. All right, all right. I'll have to watch it. I'll have to watch it. It's pretty great. There's like a lot of, I mean, I feel like he's really matured in his like filmmaking. Like mm-hmm. you definitely can go tell he's he's directed a movie because I know he directed Eighth Grade, that that movie he made, and like the time between he's done stand up and now, and it it shows he's got a lot more of a mature like style, and he's still bow, like he's still funny, but like he has like his his choice of like camera angles and lighting, and maybe because I'm kind of a film nerd. I, I get kind of more like nerdied into it, but like he's just the the stuff he's doing by himself is just so good, and you can tell he's he's definitely honed in a lot of his craft. His singing honestly has improved exponentially. He's got a lot more control of his voice. That's awesome. Yeah, that all you know. Beside the message is still really great too. I don't know. It's time to go pack. Go see it. <laughs> so good. Also, uh, also been watching Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso has been a, a really fun what's, show. What's Ted Lasso? So Ted Lasso, very sadly, is exclusive to Apple TV. Um, I'd heard so much good press about Ted Lasso that I actually got the Apple TV subscription. I don't know how long we'll have it. Oh, but. I've seen this guy. I've seen this, like, I, I just Googled him, and it's I've seen this, like, 
ad. Yeah, yeah, Jason Sudeikis. Um, so it was advertised. So it uh, it's by like the same creator as like The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine Nine, which I love both of those shows. Um, so I really wanted to give it a try. It got great reviews. I think Jason Sudeikis like won uh, an Emmy for it. It's just uh, so gotten a lot of very positive press. I've also heard it's a really nice feel good show, which I feel like, you know, uh, there's there's not a ton of uh, even like the happier, more upbeat shows have some digs. Uh, but this show really, really not as much. It's just a really like positive, forward moving, like it's very realistic People are dealing with real life difficulties in real life scenarios, but it it isn't resolved in a way that leaves you feeling worse. Like you feel better for having watched the show, which is really nice. And and it's it's a lot of fun. It's all very funny, uh, very well acted as well, which I appreciate. Yeah, I heard it was like one of the best shows on Apple TV, if not the. It probably um, has to be the best show on Apple TV. <laughs> um, I don't remember what I was watching where this came up, but I, I definitely remember like seeing this come up somewhere. I heard I heard the same thing. So it's like a feel good um, story. Um, it's about like what a like a, a it's a soccer coach or a football coach, I guess technically. So it is about an American football coach who is brought over to the UK to helm an English like football soccer team. Oh, with no <laughs> no experience whatsoever in in um football and soccer um outside of his his native sport of american football so yeah they're quite different <laughs> yeah you know they are they are slightly different uh, in execution and strategy so <laughs> probably a little bit of a learning curve but um yeah so so it's a really odd premise uh, i was definitely not drawn into the premise offhandedly because mm-hmm. i don't love leads that are like in competent i don't know it 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 doesn't really it's not enjoyable to me but it he he doesn't come across that way he comes across as somebody who's learning who has some very generally applicable coaching skills and a lot of very generally applicable life skills and he's you know learning the game as he goes and it's uh i don't know i've really enjoyed it and it's it's really only kind of about the soccer like you never even see a full game the the most of a game that you see at least at the point of the season that i'm at is i don't know like five minutes and it's it's cut it's intercut and it's focusing on specific events throughout the game that uh, drive the story and, and drive the narrative so um just uh it's i would say it's a, a sports related show that's not really about sports it's about the characters and the uh, evolution and life events ted lasso on apple tv not an advertisement but a recommendation <laughs> strong um. recommendation <laughs> um right on yeah, I don't really have a lot to update on. I can't really say a lot. It's really changed. Still working, still living, still Cuban. <laughs> yeah, fortunately still doing all those things, though I haven't been playing as much Cube lately. Yeah, it's been busy. I can understand that. Although we were in my Cube a few times. That was pretty exciting. Yeah, uh, I've been enjoying that. It's been really interesting to see it develop. I mean, obviously it's a lot. I mean, you talk to my old Cube. It's a lot different than what it used to be, so... You never know how if like you make a lot of changes to a cube and you never know if like you're onto something or if it's like a complete utter disaster. So it's nice to have it drafted so I can at least see where things are at. Because honestly, some of these lines, I'm like, I have no idea if people are going to get it or not <laughs> or if it's just going to fall flat. Yeah. But so far, it's been testing pretty positively. I mean, obviously, it's not perfect. Got a lot of changes that I've made and like working through. But I don't know. I It's nice to like 
be able to make changes to a cube again. Because, I mean, for the longest time, I wasn't able to drop my own cube. So it's it's cool to have that again, <laughs> especially in person. Miss in-person drops a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think honestly, we talked long enough. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Um, but that's we're going to wrap up for today. Uh, you've been listening to P3 Podcast, one of the Pokemon Cube Podcasts, and we'll catch you guys next time.